And welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris and joined on this very, very special midweek preview show by Patrick Doherty and from the bullpen sprinting to what is what is the pitcher's mound to the pitcher's mound? It is John <laughs> Daigle. Seen the baseball game? <laughs> I mean, Pat, I do my best to avoid baseball at all costs. Oddly enough, I wanted to join in this week only to pod with Denny since the Daigle Denny pod has not <laughs> happened yet. And then look who's here right now. So we're just we're just taking this old school today. Yeah, Denny uh, was uh, too low T to do today. Um, and, you know, we usually begin this podcast by Josh asking Denny a question. And John gave me an idea for the next question you can ask uh, Denny, Josh, is Denny, uh, what do you think of driving ranges? He likes to golf. I could see him thinking driving ranges like are an abomination for some reason. He's and, uh, he's literally golfed under 70 one round, right? Like he's supposed to be really good, oddly enough. Denny? He's good. Yeah. Bad for the brand, but he's good at golf. Yeah. Yeah. Are you sure that's not Wii Golf? Doesn't he go on Periscope and play Wii Golf? <laughs> he does every week. He does do that as well, but he also is a very good golfer in real life, whereas I have the passion, Josh. I have the grit, but it doesn't. the game doesn't come together when I get out there. Look, it's so funny to me. When I joined NBC a few years ago, you know, I went to like the social media team. I went to a few execs and, you know, this this term of brand was thrown around. Pat, you remember like five or seven years ago, like brand had to be a manufactured thing. And now here we get to 2020 and we've hired someone who goes on Periscope and plays We Golf in front of other people with like no view of the screen and barely any view of himself. And it absolutely works. And we love Denny for it. He's a branding uh, maestro, a branding wizard. Uh, his brand is ever sprawling and getting bigger. But but to me, if he you know could write down each of these points that he was going to do in terms of like writing a coffee table book and all these things and presented them to like the NBC Sports execs, be like, who the hell is this guy? But it works. They would fire him. They would fire him. <laughs> just immediately. Yeah. There, there's no better proof than Denny that brand is just passion. Whatever you're passionate about, that's your brand. Or just yourself. I totally agree. All right. So we are here on this midweek show to discuss the three Thanksgiving Day games. Hopefully all three are played, but who knows what could happen in the next 48 hours. Um, We'll start off today with a three and seven Houston Texans going to the four and six Detroit Lions. A total of 51 and a half with Houston favored by three on the road. Daigle, what if I told you that I believe Deshaun Watson is a top five player in the NFL right now? Unfortunately, no one is noticing just because of how bad this Texans team is overall from a wins-loss perspective, how they are not in the playoff hunt. But what we're seeing from Deshaun Watson are touch passes inside of structure. Tim Kelly finally opening up those receivers that we talked about heading into the season. And we know he still has that magic outside of structure as well. 71% 71% completion rate, 14 touchdowns, two picks, and eight and a half yards per attempt since the Romeo Cornell regime has begun. And yes, that has been against a soft schedule as they escaped that murderous row against the AFC contenders at the beginning of the season. But again, what do you think this game is? The Lions don't create pressure at the fifth lowest rate. They don't get sacks in seventh last in that number. So I would imagine this is a terrific game yet again for Deshaun Watson to just roll out with Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller and have his way. He's up to the QB7 by average points, even including the Bill O'Brien game. So taking the whole sample size and small sample size over the past few weeks, I mean, we've seen kind of some rugged like power running from Deshaun Watson. Not that the rushing like attempts or anything is really different, but 
just kind of like getting like the full true dual threat from Deshaun Watson the past few weeks. And yeah, I mean, it's, they're good matchups. I mean, that's what great players do. They smash yep. good matchups and he is continuing to do that. And yeah, I mean, he, even with all 32 teams playing this week, I mean, Deshaun Watson's uh, a top four, five, six quarterback. Yeah. Look, this team has only won three games, but do we really feel like Matt Patricia on the other end can in two days span create a game plan to slow down Deshaun Watson? A- absolutely not. To me, that's the most vital part of this entire contest. And I was looking at, you know, that Lions and Panthers game on Sunday. What an embarrassment. Like, what an embarrassment for the Lions. See, Pat, what, is, what does it take for a fireable offense at the head coach position anymore? Because you can't score a single point in offense. And I understand you don't have Danny Amendola. You don't have Kenny Galladay. You don't have DeAndre Swift. But the Panthers are a bottom five unit defensively against the run and against the pass. And to not even be able to manufacture a scoring drive that even results in like a field goal in the final 12 seconds of this game, that's another level to this Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn era there. Yeah, it is absolutely shocking that there wasn't a drive like midway or late in the third quarter where it was clear the game was already over and the Lions didn't like settle for a field goal. You know, they didn't even get like the the moral victory field goal that's usually like a hallmark of the Matt Patricia types. And yeah, I mean, just make firings great again. Do we not just fire NFL coaches anymore? I don't really understand. I mean, Bill O'Brien, you know, I just it's just always a year late at this point. Uh, yeah. Like Doug Marone, we didn't get this year. Adam Gase, we didn't get this year. Matt Patricia, we didn't. Well, we'll get them Dang all when. one year, one year too late. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, on a short week, I mean, I guess I know he's, he's matching wits. It's not exactly like the Texans are the world's. I mean, the Texans don't even have an actual coach right now. So I mean, this should be a matchup. You know that Matt Patricia, like uh, if he were a good coach, could actually be ready for. But. Uh, I'm just talking in circles, which is what I'm assuming Matt Patricia is doing this week and having no idea what to do because he never does. Matt Patricia era will go down as one of the worst in Detroit football history because what he has done now, it happens every single year. We started talking about this three or four episodes ago and the preview show when they played the Vikings. It's that they create a 22-man organization and forget about the other 31 guys. Mm. And every year injuries occur because it's football. That happens and they have no one else to step up. Now we've seen five full games without Kenny Gall. Holiday. Stafford's ad- average 6.8 yards per attempt in those games. Last two, he's had two of three games under six yards per attempt, as we've seen DeAndre Swift also not available. So that's why, in my waiver wire call, shout out to me, I ranked Carryon Johnson among priority pickups because last game, Adrian Peterson got seven carries. They all came in the first half because there is no fallback option if Kenny Galladay and DeAndre Swift are gone. The offense just craters, thus they have to use Carryon Johnson in the passing game and negative game script, which is what I expect this game to be if Galladay and Swift are both out again. Kenny Galladay has Julio Jones level importance to this offense. And I mean, that's someone incredible. I know I jumped a few spots here. If we can, I want to focus on the Lions defense because Daigle, you mentioned this, they have absolutely no ability to create an impact and, and change a course of a game right now. I mean, they made PJ Walker, who we know is a fill in did well in the XFL, but outside of these, Two, I would say one off, even though there were two of them, red zone interceptions. P.J. Walker basically could do whatever he wanted to do in that game. That can't happen. That, that simply cannot happen. And for this Lions team to not be able to confuse him in the least, except I would say outside of those two plays, that is terrifying when now you're facing a step up to the one millionth degree of Deshaun Watson. 
What's funny outside of Deshaun Watson too is that it should be a good game for Duke Johnson, who has just been honestly really bad in his two starts for David Johnson. The issue is we could always fall back on the crutch of at least he was getting the touches. He was bad, but at least he was getting the touches. He wasn't catching balls, but at least he was getting the touches. The issue is this past Sunday, he wasn't getting the touches. CJ Procise actually played 15 snaps and got five touches, which takes away from Johnson's usage-based ranking to this point. So yes, the Lions have allowed the most fantasy points per game to opposing running backs. But again, if Johnson's only getting 65, 70% of work, that's still probably an issue that knocks him down to an RB3 as opposed to a usage-based RB2. Hmm. I mean, it's a, another do or die spot for Duke John. He's the, so it's been two games a starter and then one game where David Johnson barely played over the past three weeks. And he's the RB 26 by total half PPR points in that span, uh, which is you know just, just awful. He's the RB 36 by average points. So barely even an RB three flex. And like you said, the lions give out the most running back fantasy point, you know, a defense and complete collapse and, yeah, I mean, Duke John. I mean, we are. I've already been saying this for like several weeks. If he doesn't do it this week, I mean, uh, no matter how long David Johnson's out, I mean, I think we kind of have to totally give up the Duke Johnson top 30 running back dream. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know the status right now of DeAndre Swift. I, I don't know the stale- status of Kenny Galladay. But this total as it stands right now is 51 and a half. How can anyone believe that this game is going to go over with that if, if this Lions team doesn't have the offensive weapons to even put up numbers against the Panthers defense. I think the Panthers defense and the Texans defense are very comparable. Like, I don't know. Daigle, I see you, you know, raising an eyebrow. I I just don't see how you can go out a shutout and be like, oh yeah, this Lions team needs to contribute, you know, 24 points in order for this game to go over. Texans (laughs) 52-0. That might be more of a possibility at this point. Than, than the Lions scoring 24 points. Yeah, Pat? It is. I mean, I was a little – maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but, like, if everyone's healthy, this would easily be the highest over-under for the Thanksgiving slate. I was a little mm-hmm. surprised. Like, this over-under is, like, five points higher than yeah. the other two games, I believe. And my final thought, carry on Johnson. You know, I had ranked ahead of Adrian Peterson last week. It didn't quite work out. But like John said, he, he had the role. He had the usage of the final three quarter. He out-snapped Adrian Peterson 39-17. Uh, I kind of have a hard time believing as bad as the Lions were last week. And the Texans are probably better than the Panthers, question mark, at least with P.J. Walker. Um, I don't think this one will be a blowout the way last week was. And it might be close enough for Adrian Peterson to like actually reach 10 to 12 carries. But uh, still much more comfortable with carry on Johnson. All right. That was the early game. Let's move now to the middle game. That is the Washington football team going to the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas, three-point favorites at home. I believe both teams are three and seven on the season, a total of 46 in this game. Daigle, Dallas has a chance here. I mean, they played well on Sunday. Ezekiel Elliott ran hard. Tony Pollard had a big play against that Minnesota Vikings defense. Andy Dalton got CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper cooking. And the defense, while they ran into a buzzsaw of Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and even Kirk Cousins, I would say looked better last week than maybe than they had all season long. I don't think it comes down to their defense because it's still a leaky one. And now they won't have Anthony Brown for this game most likely as well. So they're short their top two corners since Trayvon Diggs is still out the next four to six weeks as well. I think it comes down to what the offense can do because they got by and make shifting their offensive line against Minnesota. Scooted Zach Martin from right guard to right tackle, brought in Joe Looney at center, and Aiden Dalton was pressured on a season low four times on 34 dropbacks, only sacked one time. So squeaking clean there. But this 
this is Washington's front seven, daunting front seven, as opposed to Minnesota's pass rush. Washington, Washington is top five in sacks and top seven in pressure rate. So I still am somewhat worried about this passing game offense in this matchup. I mean, Washington has turned in like an ending seasons type of defense, which, you know, they almost mm. did with Andy Dalton. Then they did almost did to Joe Burrow before they actually did do to Joe Burrow. Like they're bringing the pain, bringing the pain. You know, in addition to the pressure, they're allowing the fewest passing yards in the NFL. The only defense allowing under 200 passing yards per week. The efficiency is a little better against them. Quarterbacks are averaging over seven yards per attempt. They're completing 64% of their passes, decent numbers, but yeah, this is uh, going to be a lot to ask for Andy Dalton. After I thought Andy Dalton would stabilize this Cowboys offense. I mean, I know it's Andy Dalton, but just too many weapons here for him tonight, at least not be vaguely competent. But yeah, it was against Washington a few weeks ago where he looked terrible, and this is a very, very heavy ask for Andy Dalton. I think that's very fair from both of you. I know some people out there might you know, get annoyed when we do talk about offensive line versus defensive line matchups, but – you know, Minnesota, as we have discussed, they do not have Yannick Ngakwe, obviously. They do not have Donnell Hunter. They just simply cannot rush the passer. And so that might be the reason why this was a solid debut for this newly constructed offensive line for the Cowboys. But against Washington, you have to block all four. You have to block all four. It's not just one or two guys that you have to worry about. So like left tackle Cam Irving, he might be the weakest link. And if that's the case, then guess what? They are just going to overload that side or set up one-on-one matchups for him all day long to protect Andy Dalton. I think that could be very, very concerning. Daigle, it's not concerning. Antonio Gibson in recent weeks. What a player we have on our hands. Leading rookie running backs and touchdown runs this season. Uh, Look, this is even with J.D. McKissick playing a boatload of snaps in each of these games. It's not like he just owns the snap share in this backfield, but he's looking like a True running back, which is still confusing to me because what we knew he had coming into this league was his receiving prowess, receiving ability after playing 70% of the time there as a wide receiver at Memphis. Yet he's looking more and more, despite maybe some vision questions, like a straight line runner more so than a complete back in the NFL. What has happened the past two games as they have played together is that Antonio Gibson has been the safer one, even the RB8 this past week. And J.D. McKissick now, if they are behind in game script, will become an RB1. But if it's a competitive game or one that projects Washington's lead, which I kind of think this one is, then J.D. McKissick falls by the wayside in his passing game usage. He was the RB27 even in PPR League just this past week. So either way, it looks like Antonio Gibson is pretty much a locked-in RB1 right now. I haven't ranked as an RB1 this week. I think it's the first time I had, I've had him like an RB12, 13 before, so, you know, there, an RB1 by the letter of the law. But he's like RB9 or 10 this week, which I was a little surprised the first week in you know, like two or three months where all 32 teams are playing. But the case is just too strong. I mean, 13 carries at least three of the past four weeks. Uh, having that stranglehold on goal line carries, you know, really, really helps, especially in an offense where, you know, Alex Smith will be terrified of making mistakes in the red zone. Like they will be run heavy in the red zone. Like John said, at the very worst, this will be a competitive game script. It should probably be positive game script for Washington playing with the lead. So yeah, it's very hard, very, very difficult for a running back to become like a safe weekly RB one. If they're not the passing down back, you have to be like Derrick Henry almost, but Antonio Gibson is he's managing to accomplish that right now. And I think the best thing you can say about Alex Smith is he's doing just enough. 
right? He's doing just enough to get Terry McLaurin involved on these contested catches downfield and in the intermediate areas of the field. You know, he's not making mistakes. And if he does make a mistake, Pat, I think this team just crumbles, right? And this Cowboys defense, while it did play better, like Leighton Vander Esch is coming back into it. Randy Gregory had an outstanding game on Sunday. If they get those individual performances, I could see Alex Smith with the weight of this game on his shoulders, making that one or two mistakes or one or two game-changing plays. He still, though, is the bottom of the NFL and intended air yards per attempt. So as weird as it, as it is to in week, what, 12, to say that a game hinges on Alex Smith making or breaking those one or two or three moments per game, Pat, I, I think that might be the case here on Thursday. It's true. And, you know, he is definitely a quarterback you can spook. So your, your analysis is correct. This is going to come down on his shoulders the Cowboys are allowing the sixth most quarterback fantasy points. As we know, they've at times this year dabbled in being arguably the worst defense in the history of the National Football League. It appears they will avoid that fate. They've uh, shored up things a bit in recent weeks due to some of the players you mentioned. But, yeah, Alex Smith, uh, yeah, it's on his shoulders. Uh, I think he's the QB 19 by total points over the past mm-hmm. three weeks. Um so like to me, he's a player, you know, two 300-yard games. I thought maybe last week could be another 300-yard game. I was expecting kind of more of a track meet with the Bengals. But then when you end Joe Burrow's career, uh, we don't get the shootout in the second half. I'm hoping it's not his career. Uh, and you would think, maybe not, but you would think that Dallas recalls the last matchup before the bye against Washington where Gibson ran wild, 20 carries for 128 yards and touchdown. J.D. McKissick had averaged seven yards per carry, and even Peyton Barber got in the mix for 10 carries and 34 yards. So you would think they know that's how Washington wants to attack them and force Alex Smith to beat them, but we're going to find out. Before we move on, Let's put some names on the board. Again, this is a shortened week. It's with Andy Dalton at quarterback against this Washington defensive line. Pat, what's the confidence level in starting again? These wide receivers I ask about every week, but it's important. C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. It's high enough. I just think even if the game goes off the rails for the Cowboys, I mean, the attempts are just going to be there. And you know, I think Amari Cooper's been under 70 yards like one time all season in a game that wasn't started by Ben DiNucci. C.D. Lamb even, I mean, it was really only the DiNucci, right around the whole DiNucci era in Dallas is where they were unreliable, basically. And we've seen the targets floor stabilize for both Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb. We know, like, uh, if you can get targets to C.D. Lamb in the the slot, we know he can make huge plays. We saw the huge play last week. We'll get the compiling from Amari Cooper. And it's the same, you know, Michael, I mean, I have to say what everyone else is. Michael Gallup's kind of out of the picture. Dalton Schultz is kind of back in the tight end two pictures. Andy Dalton's a quarterback where he's just going to keep taking those safe targets, those safe passes. And Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Dalton Schultz profile well for all three of those. And Tony Pollard had the 42-yard touchdown run this past game, but he was still out-touched 23-5, literally just a handcuff option. The Cowboys have no interest in getting him involved over Zeke. Let's close out with what hopefully, hopefully, is going to be a great contest. The Baltimore Ravens. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, a total of just 45 in this game. Pittsburgh at home, four and a half point favorites. We know they're 10 and four. And the Ravens feels like quickly have sunk all the way to six and four this season. Before we move on to player and, and matchup analysis, Pat, news and notes here. I believe nine positive tests on the Baltimore Ravens end. We heard early Monday morning about the J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram positive test. It's not just contract tracing. It's positive tests. And now we don't know the other names as they're recording 
of this right now. Daigle, we'll get to the running back position in a little bit with the Ravens because it's an important one. Again, more news and notes here on the possibility of this game. Well, this is where we're bringing in a pre-recorded video from our special guest, Coronavirus, is going to tell us about this game and if it's going to happen or not. Yeah, I mean, 10 total positives right now for Baltimore, nine of which are this week. Uh, you know, they, they've identified it's, – it's hard to believe to me. So, you know, the, the NFL is very sophisticated contract tracing. They're literally – they have, like, chips in their brain or something where, like, she tells them when they were close to someone. But I've always been a little dubious. And how are, like, J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram not close contacts for the entire offense, you know? This kind of – this defies belief to me. But, yeah, so we're up to nine, five of players, four staff. It could climb. Uh, the game is at risk, but if there are no more positive tests between now and Thursday, it's going to happen. And- um, okay. My statement, and we'll move on after from this little segment. No, we won't. How can they just say, well, nine, nine positives is the line that we're not crossing? You know? I, I believe it was Ian Rappaport or Mike Garofolo or someone, Tom Pelissero, coming out being like, well, if there are no more positives, then, you know, this game is going to go on as planned. Why is nine okay? That makes I'm no sense say- I mean, I you know I like to be devil's advocate to the NFL to basically hammer the NFL. I will just say they're like everyone they're making it up as they go along. I don't say that necessarily in a bad way, but like 2020 is kind of like making it up as you go along. And I mean, I guess they think that rescheduling the game would be even more odious. You know, create more chaos. You know, maybe the the pandemic will just be much worse by early January when they would reschedule the game. These are kind of weak excuses, obviously. But yeah, to say the line is arbitrary uh, would be an understatement. Yes. All right, Daigle, let's break down this backfield because we saw J.K. Dobbins on Sunday uh, absolutely own that backfield and, and make it his own. And in fact, I looked up the box score when these two teams faced off early in the year with the Steelers won 28 to 24 in the seventh game of the season. J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson uh, all had at least 15 carries and J.K. Dobbins was the leading rusher, 15 carries, 113 yards. Now that he's not in the picture, now that Mark Ingram's not in the picture, how do you expect this backfield to unfold? I broke this down in the waiver wire column. I talked about it on the waiver pod, but I'm also a man of so many original thoughts. So let's just rewind here for a second. Uh, Gus Edwards, we've already seen this matchup for him, right? 16 touches in his first start in place of Mark Ingram against this Steelers front seven, and he averaged 5.4 yards per carry. The matchup doesn't matter when you're one of the most elite pure running backs in the NFL. This time around as well, no J.K. Dobbins. So he'll have Justice Hill behind him. Pat can correct me. I wrote in the column, I expect Justin Hill to get four to six touches at most. Because remember, Hill has played 17 snaps all year. He does one offensive touch all season long. So I don't think he's too much of an issue for Edwards' workload. Having said that, I think you should still stash him because the Ravens don't play next Sunday. They don't have 10 days after Thursday. They play next Thursday against Dallas, a terrific matchup. So it's going to come very close since we know league protocol is that Ingram and Dobbins have to be away from team facilities after a positive test for 10 days. It's going to come down to Thursday morning, and then we'll see if they get activated. But if not, it's Edwards, or if he gets injured Thursday night, it would be Hill who I'm suggesting you stash. Having said all of this also, if you are a first-place team heading to the fantasy playoffs, you skip Edwards, let someone else have him if Dobbins is available. You still want to pick up Dobbins if someone drops him because he's the league winner here since when he comes back, he will likely go back into that cowbell role, bell cow role, all the same. It was a That was a master class to literally the final sentence. That was like a, <laughs> an amazing like monologue. And I agree with all your thoughts on the Ravens' backfield, they, especially with Justin. So, you know, this has been a backfield all year addicted to committees. 
But as we know, Lamar Jackson just doesn't really involve uh, running backs as receivers. So that would be Justice Hill's, you know, only real avenue to week 12 fantasy relevance. And yeah, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I agree. Four to six touches feels right to me for Justice Hill. And yeah, it's just, I would not recommend burning away, even though he's someone we've liked in the past, you know, a hyped, a beloved member of the fantasy community. I would not burn any waiver wire priority, any fab dollars on Justice Hill because it, we, we, the Ravens, you know, they finally decided, yeah, we can't have such a sprawling committee uh, last week. And then uh, I just think it's going to be Gus Edwards, hopefully at least 20 touches. It's the run defense that's still pretty good, still amongst the top five or six in the NFL. It'll be tough sledding, but like John said, he's such a good pure runner. This is such a run-based offense. Gus Edwards should bring you locked-in RB2 returns. But I understand Justice Hill, 65% target share in college, uh, 440 at the Combine. These are things people are going to tell you. But again, they haven't mattered to the Ravens, Ravens coaching staff to this point. Why would they suddenly matter on Thursday? That's why I'm just suggesting he's not going to play many snaps at all. Pat, another difficult question. Are you starting Lamar Jackson against the Pittsburgh Steelers? This is his line last time these two teams played. 13 of 28, 208 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, took four sacks, did have 16 carries for 65 yards, but also... Three fumbles, lost two of them. I mean, what a roller coaster that game was. Can you even hinge your Week 12 fantasy football matchup on potentially playing Lamar Jackson without those two running backs that we mentioned? And again, we need to bring it up every single week without left tackle Ronnie Stanley. I mean, it is weird because even as Lamar's season kind of like goes off the rails, it, it hasn't gone off the rail. Even as he struggles, you know, like before eyes, like visibly struggles to the eye test, like even a casual fan, like, oh, this guy is struggling. He has been the QB 12 by average points over the past five weeks still. So even as he's struggling, the fantasy season hasn't gone totally off the rails. But and we talk every week, the Steelers give up a lot of big plays in the passing game. They're, despite being a very good defense, they are susceptible to big plays in the passing game. But, you know, the Ravens are not hitting those other than to Mark Andrews. And the Steelers have allowed as many touchdowns as interceptions. They have 15 interceptions to only 15 passing touchdowns allowed. And, just the team that has nothing going with any of its receivers. Like this is going to be all about Lamar Jackson's legs, which, you know, they'll probably will want to lean on more heavily. Of course, without the two running backs, of course the Steelers know that. And it's just going to be, I think there's still, it's not stay away from Lamar Jackson. He's still going to be a low end QB one. The upside never goes away, even with the struggles, but yeah, the downside will be more prevalent than ever for Lamar Jackson. As for the, Passing game, the weapons for Lamar, we've seen a changing of the guard since week eight. Since they returned from bye, it has been Mark Andrews with a team high 24% target share, Willie Sneed of all players with a 22% target share, and Marquise Brown with a 14% target share. Brown is still one of only eight receivers in the league with at least 20 targets, 20 plus yards deep, but we can't continue selling each other on that because he has the lowest catchable ball rate at PFF among that group of receivers. So he's just getting empty air yards. That's why he's on the drop list, unfortunately, in the waiver column this week. And he's a bottom 50 receiver. Like he doesn't reach the top 50 this week. Mm. Random thought, but I also think the loss of Nick Boyle might really hurt in this game against that Steelers defensive front. Like if, if they can't create those outside lanes or, you know, have seal blocks at that level, then mm -hmm. Just a terrifying, terrifying matchup, I think, it could be for the Ravens. So when you talk about the Pittsburgh offense here, since they are favored by just four and a half points, Dago, I thought it was really telling last week where the Steelers beat the Jaguars by 24 points, yet they threw the ball 36 times while winning by 24 points. That is not offensive style that you expect from a team that has this – 
foundation, this traditional foundation of being like this power running team? Have they fully embraced that their best assets are Ben Roethlisberger throwing to this wealth of wide receivers? And what does that mean for James Conner, if so? This is just an odd theory, but it does seem like they're kind of preserving him for the playoffs and just instead allowing Ben Roethlisberger to throw the ball quickly going deep. He's just throwing quickly. And the target tree could become even more condensed in this game because we saw Juju leave with a foot injury. So we may be looking at James Washington in three wide sets, which would then mean Deontay Johnson, who continues having 25% target shares in every game, continues having double-digit targets in every game, and Chase Claypool, who continues spiking touchdowns in every game, see basically all the opportunities from Roethlisberger. I mean, we're getting it's becoming a trend now with the Steelers. They're almost getting on like the recent Chiefs and Bills diet of just neutral game script passing and you know having great success with it. Shockingly, when you have Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith Schuster, and Chase Claypool, the new Calvin Johnson, it might be nice uh to just pass the ball a lot, even if your uh, deep ball isn't working that well, like Ben Roethlisberger's hasn't been. And I mean James Conner did finally get over 50 yards rush. He got up to 89, 90 yards rushing. Uh like you said, Jai, like he's in the best possible game script imaginable. And even with the Ravens struggling, I just wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers, who have for a month now basically have identified quick hitting passing, just keep like yeah, they're using passing almost the way an extension of the running game, kind of like the old Patriots way. And I could just see that remaining uh, very easily remaining the formula this week. And like the week prior, I know it was the yards per attempt this past week, but it was still 13 carries. Like back-to-back weeks with 13 carries. Yeah. So even if you're the workhorse, like 13 carries, it's just hard to suggest a player like that. And Benny Snow came in on the goal line situation yep. and yep. got that scoring opportunity. I will say the Ravens are kind of middle of the pack against the run, which you know is unusual for them, allowing over four and a half yards per carry, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that I agree with the spiel I just gave and that we all gave and that the Steelers are going <laughs> to lean on the pass. I mean, everyone's catching passes out there. I thought like Lima Swede was out there catching passes for from Ben Roethlisberger. It, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. And I kind of disagree, Daigle and Pat, just a little bit. I've seen Ben Roethlisberger in recent weeks hit downfield throws more often than usual, like more often than he did in in you know the first few weeks of the season, which is good. And Deontay Johnson, I think someone posted this on Twitter. Either he gets injured or has like a crazy fumble to start the game, or he's going to go off for twelve plus targets and absolutely dominate. I mean, he is one of the more high-variance players in the league. But when he hits and when he plays full games, he is getting 10-plus targets and absolutely toasting and roasting defenses. They've got to get him more involved in the deep game. And they did two weeks ago, he hit him for a nice 46-yard gain, a pure deep ball down the left sideline. He had the nice kind of deep ball touchdown to Chase Claypool last week. But, yeah, the, I'm still – I'm not ready to declare he, – he's not Tom Brady level. He's not 0.0 QB rating on the deep ball. Ben Roethlisberger, but he's not back on the deep ball. To quickly clear up our stance, uh, Roethlisberger is still getting rid of the ball at the quickest time from snap to throw in the entire league. And when he gets rid of the ball under two and a half seconds, 18 touchdowns to two picks. But what they're doing now, to your point, is yes, mixing in a little more deep ball, but also remember they haven't really played a team in the past three weeks that offers a pass rush like the Ravens can. Um, We're not getting Calais Campbell for this game, right? And Brandon Williams? I, I mean, they were both ruled out before okay. last Sunday's game. It's such a short week. Yeah, I, Williams, I know, was on the COVID list as well. He was the third guy. But, yeah, I'm not sure about Campbell's injury. But if not, hmm. again, maybe the Ravens don't offer a pass rush either. Yeah, to your point, Ben Roethlisberger's time to throw 2.29 seconds. And the next player who is still a starter right now, 
as of week 12, 2.52 seconds. And that is hmm. Phillip Rivers. I mean, this is kind of the time of year. Like, let's say the Steelers win this. People are going to start questioning, Pat, if, if this team can go undefeated. Like, these are the next six games that the Steelers have in their schedule. We know the Ravens on Thursday, then it's Washington, then it's at Buffalo, then it's the Bengals, the Colts, and the Browns. Um, I, I don't know. It, the Steelers team, I feel like, is not getting the same respect that, like, the Ravens team of last year it received for being like one of the best regular season teams that we've seen. And I, Pat, part of it, I think is when, when we discuss these, these undefeated clubs throughout the year, so often the quarterback is the reason why, like the quarterback is playing at the MVP level or the quarterback two or one in fancy scoring. Meanwhile, Ben Roethlisberger is like the quarterback 10 or 11 in fancy points per game. So it's being created and conjured in different ways than we've seen in the past. I think Ben is even lower than that. It has come up in recent weeks, but yeah, I mean, I agree. They're the most under discussed, like under feared 10 and O team. Yeah. Definitely of like our lifetimes. And I think it really, I think your theory is exactly right. It's just the lack of passing game theatrics. Uh, you know, this could be a team of destiny. They escape the classic Steelers letdown spots and the Steelers and the Jaguars. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe this is, this is for real for the Steelers. All right. We'll get out of here on that. Just three games, guys. And guess what? That means we have to cover 13 tomorrow. Uh, we'll be recording that game-by-game preview show for the Sunday and Monday slate on Wednesday. So I'm sure no, no news items are going to drop on Thursday or Friday or Saturday that will change up those Sunday games either. But, again, we hope everyone out there just has a wonderful, fantastic, fabulous Thanksgiving. I know Pat will. I know Daigle will. Maybe. I'm sure I'm sure Denny is already starting to celebrate. Anyways, we'll be back later on this week with more shows and more content. So for Pat, for Daigle, I'm Josh up the Talk to y'all soon. See ya.